Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. We started Trinity Church London five years ago, last week, five years ago. Yeah. And... Um, in our first year, there was a few of us who gathered together and our passion is to see the glory of God known, that not the Trinity's reputation and names goes forward, but that Jesus' names goes forward. And we were praying in that first year thinking, what, what do we have faith for? How many people could we see baptised this year? And so a few of us were gathering together around a room and, and one person said, I believe that we could see 10 people baptised in our first year. And I wasn't quite sure, honestly, myself, but I didn't want to look like I didn't have faith. So I just nodded politely and thought, "Okay, well, yes, yes, let's let's do that. And so anyway, we decided to gather and pray. And uh, Matt Congreve was our very first baptism. Which he likes to remind me very regularly, member number one. and uh, real delight and we used to baptise people um, in the Queen's Mother's swimming pool if you remember in Victoria super fun services with the lifeguards looking on and wondering what we're doing in fact we have two founding members here today George and Michael are here so can we just give these guys a round they're back for a little visit so welcome back um, and uh, in that first year we got to eight people and we started our first alpha course and it was getting towards the end of the year and uh, we were praying and praying and uh, Mark and then Mark and then his mum gave their life to Christ on the alpha course and they got baptised it was either last Sunday or the second to last Sunday on the end of that year which made our ninth and our tenth baptisms in 2019 praise God, amen and then Covid hit And that has done lots of horrible things across like all sorts of different things. One of the things it did is it really knocked us in our sense of evangelism and being on the front foot with wanting to share the gospel with others. And we tried to do a few evangelistic courses and alpha courses and it didn't quite work and people were still finding their footing. And uh, I think on reflection now, and if you were chatting, thinking we're aware that we've not been on the front foot with evangelism and if you're at the weekend away you will know that God quite clearly spoke to us about evangelism and it was really picking up a sense that we already had that we should be moving back on the front foot with this and then looking towards the nations and ever since that moment it's, it felt like a kind of a, a maturing moment for a moment where we've got to stop thinking about ourselves are we okay as a church plant are we doing all right now and actually we've got to start maturing and thinking about those who don't yet know Jesus so that we can hold out hope to them as well and so ever since the weekend away we've been thinking praying plotting planning on how we can help other people know who Jesus is it's our it's our passion right and if you've been to a baptismal service you know the kind of sparky energetic joyful worship that just erupts in those services because it's kind of what we're made for is to see others come to know the glory of Christ and so we know that joy knows why we exist so we have this passion to see the glory of God known across London and the nations and yet at the same time we also know that London and the nations are not super enamoured about the church wanting other people to know about Jesus if you've even had one conversation with one person you think this is the most important news in the whole world and you tell them and they either roll their eyes at you or kind of bat you off and say not for me thank you very much or even worse and you realise we live between these two 
two things, right? This passion in our hearts to see Christ known everywhere that we go and yet living in a context that really doesn't want to know Christ and would rather you didn't talk about Jesus and stop making the conversations awkward and church with you just move to the side and just let us get on with our own thing. You know this kind of tension, right? And so if you feel that, and if you're a Christian here today and you think, I know that kind of tension, the question is, how do we respond? Some of us, we go for like the quiet withdrawal approach. You think, okay, I still want to be a Christian. I don't really want to cause a fuss. Maybe I'll just kind of coast through to heaven. I know I'll get there because Jesus said I'll get there. I don't really want to like cause a, a scene on the way. So I'll just be a little bit quiet. Others think, no, I like to talk about Jesus, but maybe we need to rethink Christianity. Maybe we need to rethink the Bible. Maybe we need to rethink some of our beliefs because there is a very clear clashing going on between historical Christian faith and contemporary beliefs. So maybe we need to reinterpret the Bible so it just fits a little bit better. Other people, they just like to get angry. They're like, culture wars, let me at it. I'll start my own YouTube channel and I want to get angry. And so you kind of think you get wound up by everything. The question is, how, how does the early church respond? And I want to just take us to Psalm 2 via Acts 4. So if you've got your Bible with me, turn with me to Acts 4. Because in Acts 4, we have this moment very similar to us. They're living in a city in Jerusalem that did not want the Christians to be talking about Jesus. They were literally told in a tribunal, in court, don't talk about Jesus. And so some of the early leaders of the church were then released, having been told, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And they go back to the church and this is how they respond. They don't try and reinterpret who Jesus is. They don't try and go quietly. They don't even really get angry. What they do is they turn to Psalm 2, they turn to the scriptures and they pray. And this is the moment that we read. When they were released, the church leaders, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, quoting Psalm 2, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gather together against the Lord and his anointed. Some of you see that. There's, there's referencing here the, the whole psalm. This is just a snapshot of the, the, the prayer that they were praying. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants, the church, to continue to speak your word with all boldness big word today while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant jesus and when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the holy spirit and continue to speak the word of god with boldness so how did the first church respond in a moment like ours they opened the scriptures and they prayed to God, the scriptures back to God and said, Lord, on the basis of this psalm, would you give us boldness in our day? 
and they carried on happily talking about Jesus. They were told not to talk about Jesus and they said, no, we're going to carry on talking about Jesus and we're going to let the chips fall where they may. I want to suggest that the right response for us in a moment like this is not to try and rethink scripture, not to try and go quietly through our days, but actually to continue in the mission that Jesus has given us and be bold in it. And by bold, I don't mean let's all be shouty, angry street preachers because I'm bold. Not like these timid other people who just want to do it one to one. By bold, I mean confident in your personality. If you're an extrovert, you go for it. If you're an introvert, you go for it. But confident and plain, plain speaking, not trying to be beating around the bush or trying to be clever with words that might sound a little bit more appealing but just plain with your beliefs in Jesus I would encourage you to be a bit like my daughter Kiki because I got this from one of her school reports recently which really encouraged me it's quite fun being a parent getting you know having been on the other end of having your school report read to you by your parents it's quite nice now to look threateningly over it to my children repay the pain but anyway we got this lovely report from kiki and this is what her teacher said it has been particularly encouraging to see kiki share her faith in jesus in a natural and cheerful way during re lessons isn't that amazing brag on my daughter for a moment and my my gut was like i want to be like my daughter a natural and cheerful way that's confidence I'm not getting wound up about this. I'm not getting tight that you need to do something. It's just natural. It's cheerful because it's good news, right? So when I say boldness, I mean to go about our days naturally, cheerfully sharing our faith in the God who saved us, Jesus Christ. If we're going to see people come to the Christianity Explore course, if we're going to see people just increase their knowledge of who Jesus is, maybe have some of their misunderstandings about Christianity dismantled, it will require us in this room to naturally and cheerfully share our faith in, in Jesus. And what I want to do is just turn to this psalm, because this psalm seemed to be a resource for the early church to gain that kind of confidence. They turned there when they needed some confidence. And I want to turn there for us at the beginning of a term, not to work us up, but just to instill some peaceful confidence in our hearts. I was amazed when we were praying earlier because, I mean, from the very moment that Richard shared what he was sensing to prayers that Charles prayed and what Cheryl was sensing and others, it, it almost felt like we prayed through the sermon this morning. I was like, this is amazing. Everyone's just praying the stuff that I've been thinking about as I've been looking at Psalm 2. And it feels like the Lord just wants to take us here for a moment just to receive from him. To look to him, to understand who he is and therefore who we are. So I've got a few things. I'm not even going to give the number because you might despair. But I've got a few things I want to say on this that I hope will encourage you and give you a little bit of confidence as a Christian today. If you're not a Christian here today, firstly, you're so, we're so glad. I mean, you might not be so glad that you're here. It's going to say you're so glad. No, we're so glad that you're here. But if you're a Christian, here's some good news for you as you look to share the hope of your soul the first thing is this the raging and the plotting of the nations against jesus is ultimately in vain 
This is the bit that they really stand on. The psalmist says this, why do the nations rage? Like rioting against Jesus, trying to loot the church and the people's plot in vain. Why do they, why do, they do that? And the, the, the tone here is not this kind of like mocking, like, <laughs> why do they do that? I think the tone here is more of like a sadness and just a wondering of like, why? Why do the nations rage and why do they plot in vain? I think it's the same tone when Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem, just looking around at those who are rejecting the news that he's come to bring. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills its own prophets. It's this kind of heartbroken sadness and this like, why do you reject this? Because it's in vain, right? The people's plot in vain, all the attempts of philosophies and books and arguments and moralism that is trying to push Christianity to the side, it's ultimately in vain. It, it, it doesn't work in the end. We're told that like flowers flourish in the field and the next day that they wither and die and gone. In the same way, all of the attempts of the kings and the emperors of past years who have tried to crush Christianity, they have gone and gone and gone. And Christianity has blossomed and blossomed and blossomed across the nations. Where people try and stop the church in Burundi, the church comes alive. So why, why do the nations do this it's like plankton in the sea raging and plotting against the blue whale that is coming at them for all the plans and all the committee meetings those plankton make the blue whale is coming and for us to think that we can rage and plot against the anointed one jesus christ it's vanity so even in our own hearts, we wake up, you know, I know sometimes I have to wrestle and remind my own heart, like, don't, don't try and plot your own course through, through life. <laughs> you have those moments you're like, I say, I want to just take back control of that because I'd quite like to carry on with this Lord. And I'm not sure, like, why, why should I, like, he is the Lord. And the interesting thing here is that the nations and the peoples, they plot who, against who? Against the Lord's anointed one who the church in Acts 4 knew was Jesus Christ himself. It's interesting, right, when you can talk about God quite happily, right, today. I mean, you could talk about God for a long time with a lot of people who aren't Christians and like, yeah, 100% agree. As soon as you mention the fact that you actually worship a man called Jesus, people's backs start going up. Because he's the one who holds out the, the boundary line of good news and hope. Come into the kingdom. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the dividing point of history. He is the one to whom we either run from or run to. And so it's Christ that we hold out. And the, the comforting news for us, for the church who often feels like we're on the wrong side of history, because we are told that so often. If you would just change your views, if you would just fall in line, if the church would just get in line with what's going on in the mainstream, we are told continually we're on the wrong side of history. But what 
the early church knew was that those who rage and plot against the anointed one Jesus Christ it's ultimately in vain so the things that feel so big to us right now it will pass the persecution that feels so hard will pass those who rage against the church and Christianity they will pass and the church will remain why because Jesus remains so let's not take cues to temporary raging when we have an eternal God who will outlast all things amen it's the first thing the second thing is this is the emotions of God and I I I I wish we could just look at this all day like we get in this psalm it's like the veil is just taken back from him and we we we're told of things we we reveal truth that we would not know if we weren't revealed it to us and what we're told here is the emotions of God I don't know about you but very often I wake up and I I feel like heavy with the sense of responsibility and the church and the world and the news and the things that are like and just sometimes just your to-do list right you just think oh it's just you go okay deep breath there's a lot to do today and there's things that I can't even get done and am I responsible for this or that what am I praying for and it can feel like and for myself I feel like sometimes I is the church going to be okay I sometimes I confess I worry about the church in my children's generation what will the church be like for for Micah and Kiki what will they what will they inherit from us in our generation I think about these things like sometimes I get worried and yet when we turn to Psalm 2 look at the Lord's emotions in verse 4 he who sits in the heavens that is the Lord God Almighty worries no no sorry um, he's he's laughing and this is not laughing at the suffering of the nations he is laughing at the plankton who are setting up committee meetings trying to rage against the blue whale that is coming towards them this is the Lord God Almighty who was sat on his throne with fiery seraphim who are created solely to worship him. The cherubim, the archangels and the angels with the glassy sea set before him and the seven lampstands that are on fire set before him. And we're told that the Lord God Almighty who sits in the centre of heaven on this throne is chuckling to himself. It's like, oh my goodness. He's like raging again it's crazy right because this is the lord god almighty who created everything nothing that has been made has been made without him it was his word that created all of this and it's his word that sustains every molecule of the universe so the very people who are plotting and raging against him he is actively in that very moment sustaining the breath with which they are throwing their fists up at god you begin to see how ridiculous this whole scenario is it's not like hey a few committee meetings and a few more philosophies and actually god will say okay oh, i better i better get out of here you really don't want me around i get the picture fine i'm gonna leave like if god actually left or ceased to exist if that was even possible we would not carry on as a universe 
we would not like, hey, don't worry now, we've got the laws of physics, we've got a bit of, you know, probably momentum, there's a few more years until, like, climate change stuff, like, we could probably carry on on the fumes of God's first creating power. No, if God ceased to exist, we cease to exist in this very same moment. We cannot exist without the Lord God Almighty. It's like us raging against our own lungs that's giving us breath right now. And so the Lord's like, I don't know, I'm the one who's giving you the breath that you're using to shout against me. I, like, I'm not, he's not threatened. He's not worried. His plans and his purposes are carrying on just fine. There are some, like in the church, some church leaders who seem to make it their business to be like critical of the church. And honestly, I don't understand why some church people are so critical of the church. Naysayers, like, oh, if we, if we did this and if we didn't do this and if we did this more, then the church would be in a better place in the, in the West. And there might be some truth, like we've all got to grow and we've all got to do. But I think when you look at the Lord's emotions, like he's not tense or worried. We pray with all of our heart and yet we take the emotions of God and think we can relax we go about our days cheerfully if God's not worried in heaven I'm not going to worry because he seems to know all things from the beginning to the end of history and he seems to be the one who knows all things so if, if he's, he's okay I'm, I'm taking my cues off off him so we can relax church okay I, I just want to say, like, we're here, right? We're here claiming the name of Jesus. We're trusting in him. We're worshipping him. And God is on his throne and he's laughing at all the plots to try and destroy the church. So let's be encouraged. The emotions of God. And then we have this. God's equally not fussed. And the reason why he's not fussed is because he himself has set a, a king on on a throne. It says in verse 5, then he will speak to them, those who are plotting and raging against Christianity, in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, carry on trying to do this, but look, as for me, I have set my king, literally poured forth my king on Zion, on my holy hill. For us today, over my church, there is a king who rules over his church and his name is Jesus. So the Lord God Almighty is not threatened by the plots and the ragings of the nations because there is a king who rules over all nations. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so the Lord looks at, the Lord God looks at his king and says, I'm not threatened because there is a king who cannot be dethroned. This psalm was used in the coronation of the kings of Israel, first of, of David. And we have this moment where Nathan speaks to David when he is going to be coronated and the Lord speaks to him. And what we know is that when David receives this promise to be the king of Israel, the appointed king by God of his people, that this then also speaks of David's great, 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 great grandson, who happens to be Jesus of Nazareth. And this is the promise that was given to him and falls on Jesus. And because it falls on Jesus, falls on all those who would bow the knee to Jesus. He says this, I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will point a place for my people, Israel. 
This is speaking to the king who will be coronated and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from that time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. And who is that offspring? King Jesus, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name. We are that house right now and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Hallelujah. Amen. God is quite relaxed because he has a king who is set on his throne so he's he's not threatened this king is god's own son which is amazing because in the psalm god says to his own son today i have begotten you which if you're like a theologian you think how does that work because god the father has always been god the father and god the son has always God the Son. So how can God the Father say to God the Son today? Does this mean that Jesus was created at some point? What we do know is that Jesus Christ has always existed because in John 1 we're told that he was with the word eternally so. So Jesus has always been with God the Father. He has always been the eternally begotten one. He has always been brought forth from the Father as the Son. And we're told when he is baptised by his cousin John that the father speaks over to him and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. When Jesus is transfigured, the father says again, this is my son. He's saying, listen to my son. What he says is truthful. Follow his ways. The father is always pointing to the son. But when the early church reflected on Psalm 2, what they saw is that when Jesus Christ was crucified, there was in this moment a coronation of sorts that his crowning moment was not when he received the splendor and the wealth of the nations, but yet when he was crucified by us. And John says this was his lifting up moment. And in his resurrection from the dead, Paul could say in Romans 1 verse 4 that this, in the raising of Jesus from the dead, this was the moment that God the Father declared Jesus to be the Son of God in power when he was raised from the dead. So how do we know that Christ was vindicated and is sat on his throne? Because he raised from the dead. There is no other king who has died and raised from the dead, but only this one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in this declaration, we know this one is to be followed. Which is why I think there is this kind of funny moment at the end where we're told that the, one of the right responses to Jesus is trembling. Because he says in verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. You might think, Alex, Never asked anyone over a coffee to come and fear and tremble with me. I've always been like, hey, it's really good news. You should know Jesus. Uh, How does that? If you remember when Christ was first raised from the dead and Mary, Mary and Salome went to the tomb to uh, embalm Christ. What was their response when they realized that he was alive? (laughs) 
I mean, imagine, I mean, if, if you've ever been to a funeral of a grandparent or a loved one and get, you're, what? Uh, this was not expected. Like, he's alive? And they run back to their friends and we're told that they ran with trembling because of their astonishment. Why? Because Christ who was dead is now alive. If this is a Lord who has conquered over sin, Satan and death, and if death has no hold over him, if everything that he said is true, vindicated in his resurrection, if he actually is the Son of God, if he is the King of Kings, if he is the Lord of Lords, if he has all power and this man sustains the whole universe, and I've just come into touch and contact with him I might just feel slightly afraid this is the king that we come to and because this kind of power is wrapped up in this kind of king God himself is quite relaxed it's okay there's a resurrected king on his throne he's ascended on high and no thwarting is going to happen of his reign and then we're told some more encouragement to us that this son has had a promise given to him so in this third stanza of this poem we hear now the son jesus talking about this conversation and you've got to get this right this conversation is probably a conversation that happened before the creation of the universe we are getting an insight like an audio recording of the father the son and the holy spirit in a conversation they had as they were thinking about creating all things and as part of that conversation the father says this to the son and jesus tells us of this he says i will tell of this decree i'm going to tell you of something that we talked about before we created all things the lord god the father he said to me you are my son today i've begotten you he says ask of me and i will make the nations that we're going to create your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession so you have the father son and the holy spirit in this conversation together and jesus says you know the father said like once the nations are created i'd like to give them to you as your inheritance and what we know that in that moment that jesus asked the father so i'd like to receive that inheritance we're told in isaiah 53 that the son went to the cross and suffered knowing that on the other side of this out of his anguish his soul would be satisfied why because he would receive the inheritance that he asked for and jesus didn't just ask in that moment of glorious bliss he asked with his life and with every breath that he had he asked for us as his inheritance the nations those who would come to him and be part of his kingdom and he walks towards the cross and with his life he asks the father would you give me the nations as my inheritance and with an obedient life and a holy life is crucified on a cross for the sins of everyone who would come to him and receive him as lord for the sins of all the subjects who are rebellious and who would then bow the knee to this jesus he dies for them asking the father would you give me the nations as my heritage and in the resurrection of jesus christ when the father vindicates him and says this is my son He says, now I'm going to give you all authority to gather in your inheritance. So when Jesus tells the first disciples to go on mission, 
it doesn't say look good luck guys it's a tough world out there uh, I didn't get treated so well uh, may not go so well for you but like I'll see you soon so I'm gonna go back to heaven now and uh, good luck uh, see you on the other side right okay what does he say he says guys all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me why because the father has made a promise to me and he has given me all authority now in the vindication of my sonship all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all the nations hallelujah he is the resurrected king who tells us to go with all confidence I can't, guys all authority so go don't worry you go and i've been given the backing of my father who is lord god almighty and set me on my throne and has given me a promise and when the lord god almighty promises it will not fail the backing of heaven has been given to me and i give you now all the resources of heaven and spiritual authority to go and make disciples of all the nations so we go relaxed amen and then lastly we find out this that jesus himself is happy the very last phrase is this blessed are all who take refuge in him the in him is jesus and i don't know about you i mean i grew up as a white english person in some sort of uh, <laughs> esther <laughs> religious churches and uh you know, I don't know if you've ever heard a kind of a classic white English vicar speak. I mean, people, when I tell them I'm a pastor, they look at me like, no, you're not. I've seen a vicar and you're not a vicar. <laughs> like, I promise, I promise. Or you might not have met one, but you might have seen one on TV, you know, and they're not generally portrayed very well. But, you know, if you've ever heard a, a homily in some kind of sitcom from the white English vicar, and how do they read the Bible? Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You ever heard that like religious vicar voice? And like you chat to them before church. It's like, mm, it's kind of normal. He likes Chelsea. That's good. He's a good guy. And then they start talking like church talk. Blessed are all who... What's going on there? And whenever I read blessed, still to this day, I hear a white English vicar saying, blessed. <laughs> Blessings, my child. And it comes across so religious. Like, I, I think you're saying good stuff, but I don't quite resonate with it, but I want to take it. I don't want to just... And we can lose some of the original heart language of what was being said when it says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. For those who first read this and heard this and wrote this, what they would have heard is something far more like happy. It's a happy thing. It's a thing we're told to rejoice in. Happy are all who take refuge in him. In other places, it's literally translated as happy or joyful. This is a happy thing to find a refuge in this king. And this king, we're told, is himself a happy king. These two Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2, are normally in the Jewish tradition treated together. And verse, the first verse of Psalm 1 and the last verse of Psalm 2 are in a sense this bookmark. And what we're told at the beginning of Psalm 1 is this word blessed, not blessed, 
happy happy is the man and the man is Jesus he is the one who prospers and we're told that if we come into the happy man Jesus we ourselves find what happiness joy peace rejoicing because he himself is happy so what do we find in heaven we find a God who is laughing we find a Christ anointed one who is happy because his father's happy and the father's happy that his son's on the throne and he's happy because everything's going okay the purposes of the Lord are being fulfilled we're told in Psalm 115 verse 3 that the Lord is in the heavens he does whatever he pleases he's not constrained by this naughty West who aren't receiving his crown if only they were a bit whatever like the Lord does everything that he pleases so he's happy in heaven and so when we come to Christ and we're found in him on the inside of this refuge we find happiness if you've ever been to a family home and you think this is a happy family dad is happy the mum is happy there's just like this joyful cheerful natural happiness that pervades this is what it is to become a Christian and we have two choices we either run from the king or we run to him and the call for us today if you're a Christian with a heart that's uncertain is to run to Christ if you're feeling guilty today don't run from the king he says happiness is found in the refuge of Jesus Christ so we run to Jesus amen if you're feeling uncertain don't run away from him it's vanity we run to the refuge in Jesus Christ and when we find ourselves in this refuge we look at Father Son Holy Spirit this happy God and we go on mission with him let me close with a quote from Narnia any Narnian fans it's not Lord of the Rings so give me some credit okay um, who's Red Horse and this boy I, it's a good one right and uh, I reread the beginning bit in preparation for this and um, if you don't know the story there's a young lad called Shasta and he thinks he lives with his dad who's a fisherman but it turns out that his dad is not actually his biological dad but this man found Shasta when he was a young boy and they are not of the same nation they are not of the same ethnicity and he never noticed it before their skin color was different and this man was a Kalorman and the Kalormans lived in the south and it was a wealthy we're told mysterious heavy nation ambitious to take land and yet Shasta himself was a Narnian lived at the north and Shasta when he finds out that he's going to get sold into slavery by who he thinks is his dad in that moment gets talking as a Narnian story can only do to a horse so you've got to bear with that moment and so Shasta and this talking horse decide to flee Kalorman to go back to their homeland in Narnia and they make this plan together to flee and to go back to their homeland and there is this moment as they're still in the land of Kalorman and they are leaving this land where this group of Narnian soldiers comes marching through the town where they are staying. And let me just read this moment to us. He says, It was unlike any party they had seen that day. 
the crier who went before it shouting way way this was the only kalorman in it and there was no litter i don't know why that's important but anyway everyone was on foot there were about half a dozen men and shasta had never seen anyone like them before instead of being grave and mysterious like most kalormans they walked with a swing and let their arms and shoulders go free and chatted and laughed one was whistling you could see that they were ready to be friends with anyone who was friendly and didn't give a fig for anyone who wasn't shasta thought he had never seen anything so lovely in his life it's christians living in a land that's dark heavy anxious mysterious worried about saying the right or wrong thing and we are the narnians because aslan is on his throne right and he is in charge we're not lions in this nation but a lion is on his throne and he rules over his church for our goods and one day all things will be made right amen